Man. Well, we've studied the first 11 chapter of Romans quite in depth, and there is Paul pointed out all the wonderful things that the Lord has done for us, that our response should be to give to God our lives as a living, holy sacrifice unto Him. Now, God's Holy Spirit, if we were perfectly obedient, would already automatically do the things uh, wouldn't really, really wouldn't have to be taught. We would automatically live holy and pure lives. We would automatically be perfectly loving and kind. But we are in sinful bodies. Now, some try to say this. Well, since we're in sinful bodies, God understands it, and so we are the way we are, and, and until we get our new bodies and go to heaven, that's the way it is. But that is not what the Bible teaches us. The Bible does tell us, yep, you're not going to be perfect until you're with the Lord. That is true. But there is not just justification. That's where we get saved and we become born again and we become perfect in God's righteousness and His holiness. Justification. But he says there's another process going on called sanctification. Being set apart or made holy. It's actually translated both ways in the New Testament. And the idea, the concept of this is is that we don't just wait around for the Lord to come back, but even right now, while in these bodies, we can walk in the Spirit and overcome our sinful condition and actually actually walk very much like Christ would walk and talk very much like Christ would talk and be very much examples of Christ on this earth. The world would see the love we have for one another and they would know that we are like him, that we're truly his disciples. James points out in chapter 1 that through trials is where God really works on us and perfects us. And he says that if we let those trials have their perfect work, that if you live long enough and through those difficulties, through months and years with rejoicing, you can actually come to the place where you're perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. The word perfect in the Greek is, is more uh, of the concept of mature. So you can become matured, complete, and lacking in nothing. In other words, there wouldn't be this giant lack, lacking in your life of holiness or purity or righteousness or this giant lacking in your life of being patient or kind that we can actually become very much like Christ, even though we're in sinful bodies and we're not going to be perfect. We have good days and bad days and good weeks and bad weeks and good years and bad years. But nevertheless, overall, we can truly begin to walk and talk like Christ. And so we have a great hope right now as Christians and a great challenge. We all love a challenge, don't we? And, um, and it's, it's a great joy to have the challenge, to be able to daily put this body under, daily put this body to death, and daily live and talk and walk like Christ. And to be able to put our heads on the pillow at night, and as we take inventory of what we said and what we've done and our attitudes through the day, we can truly say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that by your grace, by your power, I am walking a little more like you each and every day. And not to have great regret to look back over the day going, oh, I can't believe I said that. Oh, I can't believe I did that. Oh, I can't believe my body's in control of some lust or some passion or something that's 
controlling me and I don't have control of it. We don't have to live that way. And this is the process of sanctification. Now, again, we love God with our heart and our mind. Now, your heart, like I said, is already leading you in the direction of purity and holiness and righteousness and and to walk in love as Christ walked. But we still need to be told. And so here, Paul in chapter 12 has given us all these one-liners, you know, don't be a hypocrite. Let your love be without hypocrisy. Abhor evil. Cling to that which is good. And and uh, last week we looked there about continuing steadfastly in prayer. And uh, by the way, we did, uh, Mac ended up clicking on after about 10 minutes, just went ahead by faith and clicked on the tape recorder. And so we did get most of that message. And I hate to see the devil even win one battle. And so I stayed after everybody left and I re-recorded the first part and then Tony edited it. So we do have that, most of that tape. And uh, actually a couple minutes longer um, because I got a chance to preach it a second time. There was none of you looking bored. So I uh, really enjoyed myself and and, uh, went a little longer. So new and improved and extra length and all of that. More for your money. So anyway, so here tonight we get to look at verse 13 and he says distributing the word there distributing also is the word koinonia communion partnership fellowship sharing to the needs of notice the saints this is a tricky subject Because if you look at different societies, they redefine the word need. And in our society, I need a VCR because mine broke. And I need a 35-inch television because my 25-inch is just not where it's at, you know. And and, uh, we, we think we need a lot of things. We need a car and we need, you know, spending money to go out and blow it on Friday night with the gang and all this kind of stuff. And here, you know, again, it really does come down to what the Lord is showing you. And to have that heart, to be willing to give, even if it's everything. We see there that the rich young ruler, the Lord challenged him to give everything that he had and give it to the poor and to come and follow him. That was the challenge of God to that man. And God could give you that same challenge. And so whether it's 10 cents or whether it's everything you have, the challenge has to be real and it has to be met in your heart. And so I do believe that God will give at times true believers, true people that you're in fellowship with, that you know and are accountable people, needs. And the reason he gives those needs is to check all our hearts. Am I willing? Am I willing to sacrifice? Am I willing to suffer with my brother? Am I willing to share in his need? Literally, it's what it means. Am I willing to be needy with him? Am I willing him to, to give him half of my pizza and I'll be a little hungry and he'll be a little hungry? Am I willing, you see? And so God's going to cause situations to come across your path. Now, does that mean you give? No, it doesn't necessarily mean you give. That's where you have to take it to the Lord and to say, what is my part? 
And there may be times where the Lord says, you're clear. I honestly think that rich young ruler, God wouldn't have accepted a penny from him. Because in 1 Corinthians 13, it says, if you give all your goods to the poor and have not love, it profits you nothing. The reason he was talking to that rich young ruler is to show him that he was breaking. You know, he said, I kept all the law. Well, law number one is to have no other gods before you. And the Lord was showing him that he was breaking the law of God. And number one was having other gods and his God was money and the power and the prestige that it brings. And so that challenge is going to come. And at that point, you need to walk in wisdom and ask God to give you wisdom. And and what is he showing you to do? Now, if you look at each one of these, it's not saying the church as an institution needs to be without hypocrisy. The church as an institution needs to abhor what's evil and cling to that which is good and, and so forth. Uh, the church as an institution needs to be continuing steadfastly in prayer. No. Where are the needs of the body met? By the body. The body, as it says in Ephesians 4, ministers to itself causing itself to be healed, causing itself to be built up, causing itself to be growing in love. And so from time to time, we'll get some guy who, you know, gets a glimpse of the Rose Parade or whatever and, you know, throws what he has in his car and off he comes to Southern California, you know. And he'll show up out here and sleeping in the car out on the street or something. and, And he'll come and let us know it's our Christian duty to... Meet his needs. And at that point, it's a dilemma. You know, Lord, what are you showing me? What what am I to do? And I'm glad that pretty much 100% of those type of things go through our church board because I, I'd rather them deal with it. And uh, But nevertheless, there's, there's that situation. And like the prodigal son, the worst thing you can do is give him a job feeding the pigs. The sooner he's hungry, the sooner he has nothing to eat, the sooner he'll go home to where he's supposed to be in God's will. And so I've learned that you can actually hurt somebody sometimes by helping them. I remember uh, several years back, I had a guy call me up relatively late, a guy in the church, knew him well accountable guy and had no food and his wife was on the phone and yelling in the background quite upset and I said I'll come over and and I came over and and there on top of his VCR was no less than 10 if not 20 videos and uh, that was a need though you see that wasn't a want that was a need and but they they wanted food but didn't have any and uh laid into him really really upset me his irresponsibility and uh, at that point i discovered that he had been cheesing on a lot of people in the church and he was pretty good at it he had a pretty good sales pitch and uh, so we put that to an end made it very clear to a number of the people that he had borrowed money from that was not to happen again and that if he wanted help again, it was going to be that he was going to go through a financial class and get some accountability and start dealing with it rightly. If not, the hunger that he would sense and the hunger of his family would hopefully break his heart and he'd come to repentance over such a, 
uh, a flippant lifestyle. But of course, in grace, we helped him. And uh, but he was a person in the in the church. I mean, he really was there. He just was a very carnal person and a person that was a relatively new Christian. And uh, he was he was raised by a pack of wolves. So uh, a lot of a lot of things you take into consideration. But we do learn in First John that we got to be careful not to close our heart to our brethren. Now, why would we do that? Because again. Often, here we are, scraping our pennies together, doing everything we can to save what we can, to do what we can with what we have, denying ourselves of a lot of things to make it, to get by, and maybe even to save that little extra money up to go on a vacation. And then here's a guy saying, oh, well, I don't have any food. And then you discover after you get to know him how he spends his money, and you're going, if you were doing what I'm doing, you wouldn't be in need. And so here I am trying to be diligent with my finances, and here you are basically being undiligent and squandering. And, and, and so basically you're saying, let me live a non-diligent life and support it. And so what can happen, you see, is in the church, amongst the believers, we can start saying, forget it. I'm not going to help anybody. And that's where we've got to be careful. That's what the devil wants. But now we've got to come back to other scriptures. The Bible says if your brother offends you, go to him. The Bible makes it clear that get the log out of your own eye, and once you do, go get the speck out of your brother's eye. The Bible says if a, somebody's in sin, rebuke him. If he doesn't repent, take one or two more at the most, go rebuke him again. If he still doesn't repent, take the elders of the church and excommunicate him. And so again, I, I don't think that with the financial areas that anything would ever get that far. But I think a lot of times we want to, you know, put on our Sunday go to meet and smiles. How are you doing? Fine. How are you doing? Fine. How are you doing? Fine. And then somebody's finally desperate in need and calling somebody up at 10 o'clock at night going, help me, I need help. When along the line, you see, along the line, you saw them thinking, man, this guy must make more money than I think he makes. He put that on his card and that on his card. He's going here and he's bought that. And, you know, I thought he didn't have any much money for food. And then two days later, I see him toting in a new $500 TV in his house. You know, how, how, how did that happen? You see? And at that point, we really do need to be accountable to one another and go to that brother. He's offended you. And, and talk to him and say, hey, I, I'm, I'm bothered here. Because I was under the impression two days ago that you were financially barely getting by, and then I find out today that you bought a brand new TV. How can that be? Are you charging it? Are you planning on, you know, a Christmas bonus in, in 12 months from now? And, I mean, what's, what's up? Well, yeah, you know, said no payment, no interest, same as cash for... Until the year 2001, it's like, well, you know, you still got to pay for it. <laughs> Is that really what God's showing you to do? Is that what the scriptures say? Does the scripture say, oh, no man, anything but to love him? Are you putting yourself in a financial situation thinking things will be better 12 months from now when you may not even have a job 12 months from now? It says in James, don't say, I'm going to go here and buy and sell and do this and that. All such boasting is evil. So to say 12 months from now, I'll have the money. Well, how do you know? And so again, at that point, there needs to be that accountability. Now, 
in at least a church in Southern California where I pastor, and I, I've talked about this issue much with other pastors. You know, the average length of a stay in a home in Southern California is five years. That's the max. That's the the average length that somebody holds onto their mortgage payment. People are quite a bit in transition, and so we discovered in the in ministering to people that if you try to have church membership and church accountability groups and these kind of things, that there is a certain amount of people that do enjoy that, but there's a lot of people that won't stay around. And once they do stay around, you know, on the outskirts, they do eventually start coming in. They do start catching on. And they do understand the things of God and want the things of God. And so we don't want to scare them away. But at the same time, if somebody shows up to Sunday morning message or comes on a Wednesday night, and that's, that's all they do, they don't really know anybody, they're not in a ministry, they're not in a home fellowship, they're not going to the prison with Dave Hunt, or they're not going down to the, the orphanage and ministering when we do that, or they're not, and people don't know them, they're a face in the crowd. But now all of a sudden, they're hurting, and they want us to hurt with them. That's a, that's a tough thing to do. And so accountability has two sides of the coin. It rejoices when you rejoice, and it will also sorrow when you sorrow. But you see, when you're rejoicing, you're doing fine. You don't need anybody. You're self-sufficient, and, and so your life is great, just showing up on a Sunday morning or whatever. But now all of a sudden, that sorrow set in. All of a sudden, hey, you're, you know, you've got an obligation to me. And so... And where we've come, and, and from what Chuck Smith has, has taught me, is that basically it, it comes down to, if you're willing to be accountable within the body, and you're willing to get involved in the body, and you're willing to be ministered to and minister, then you'll find the body will meet your needs. You'll find that when you're sick, in the hospital bed, that you've got more people around you than you know what to do with. I was just talking to my friend Brian Parrish there, and and uh, he tried to go see a, a person the other night about 11 o'clock in his church, and he couldn't get into the hospital room because there were so many people from the home fellowship there. And he had to wait for a few people to come out. That's neat. See, that's the way it is. And it's not going to the organization saying, hey, so-and-so sick in the hospital, can you bring us some food? They already know you're sick. They're already bringing you food. It's already being taken care of. And so again, you, you want to just come and enjoy worship and the message, then enjoy it. We're giving to you and be blessed. But understand when it comes farther than that, it, it's surface level, you're going to get a surface level blessing back. But if you want a deeper blessing, you're going to have to have a deeper commitment to the body. And I don't say that to be mean. And I'm not saying that, trying to say that to be cruel. I'm just saying it's reality. Again, Chuck, uh, really great tape. Tape number 8060. It's the tape that Chuck Smith gives out when people come asking for handouts and they give them a piece of paper and it's, it's quite, uh, quite interesting actually. It says here, name and address and phone, and it says, what Bible studies do you attend? 
days of the week? How often do you attend? How long have you attended each study? What book is being taught and the subject? In other words, are you really there or saying that you're there? How long have you attended Calvary Chapel and steadily attended? Um, will we find a regular record of financial support tithe from you? And then Chuck writes, and it says uh, needs, give receipts, and so forth. And then on the next side, it says this, Haggai chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. This is Chuck's little, it says financial encouragement. It says, it's funny, my radio programs called Words of Encouragement, and sometimes it's it's just solid 10 minutes of rebuke, and uh, people call up going, gee, that's a word of encouragement. Well, encouraging you to repent. Well, this is one of those encouragements. Financial encouragement to repent. He says in, in Haggai, chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, you have shown much and bring in little. You drink and are not filled. You clothe yourself and you are not warm. And he that earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Consider your ways, saith the Lord. And so here, Agai's talking about tithing and giving. And, and he's saying, why does your money bag have holes in it? It's because you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing and giving to the Lord. And then Chuck goes on to write, in a recent Bible study, it was noted that most people seeking financial assistance from the church do not have a tithe record. They usually indicate something like, oh, well, we give cash only. No doubt they do not have a tithe record because they do not tithe. That's why the prophet Malachi said, will a man rob God? The people responded, where have we robbed God? The prophet answered, in tithes and offerings. God then said, you are cursed with a curse because you've robbed me. God then went on to say, bring all our tithes into the storehouse. Prove me now in this and see if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that you will not have room to contain. The Bible tells us that in whatever measure you give to God, that same measure will be measured back unto you. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 2, the prophet said to consider your ways. Is it possible that the reason you are in this financial bind is that you have been guilty of holding back from God and thus God has been holding back from you? That's the end of the financial <laughs> uh, application. And so again, you've got to ask yourself that those questions. Again, when you're in the financial crunch, have I been a good steward? Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Now, again those who truly are your family of God will love you and have mercy on you and will help you anyway. But in the same token, those who tithe to the church and those who give offerings of the church really want it to see to go to the ministry wisely. They don't want to see us giving out money frivolously to somebody and, and then they go, man, I happen to know that guy just two days ago, blah, 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 blah. And now he comes to the church and here you're forking out, you know, how much money? Well, that was, that's a good chunk of the money I gave this last year. And, and it, it bums people out. And you've got to also realize that we're not looking at the church in America only. We have missionaries and we support things around the world. And I'll tell you what, there you really have needs. It's not a matter of, 
gee, I, I can't make my car payment. It's a matter of there's no rice to eat today, period. And there really are needs there. We have a uh, quite extensive ministry there um, into uh, Hungary, which reaches out in the um, refugee camps to just many, many different countries. Um, in Sri Lanka, I don't know if you saw in the newspaper where they, the Muslims are cutting off the hands of the, the Christians. The newspaper won't say that. Uh, to intimidate them, but also it's a way to try to uh, mess with the Christians because now you have to not only take care of yourself, but you have another man who can't take care of himself. And they do that to try to weaken. Uh, it's a military strategy that the Turks did back in the middle centuries. But there's a number of those people there. And they really are in need. And I know uh, there's a, a couple groups each year that a couple of clothes manufacturers and so forth uh, who send over literally uh, plane loads of food or of uh, clothes to help keep them clothed through the brutal winters. And it's a need there. I mean, they'll show up from a rather hot climate into a, a climate that's going to have nine months of snow. And it's not a want to have a jacket. They'll die if they don't have a jacket. And there's people in camps like that around the world who are dying because they don't have a jacket. And there's some real needs there. And so when we're presented with needs, it's nice to have some money. And, and we as a church, we have a fund in which it's our outreach. It's our church tithe. I believe in tithing. I don't know when it ever stops. It'll never stop with me. It'll never stop with any ministry I'm a part of. And I teach our missionaries on the field to tithe because I know the blessings that come from tithing. And so we've got missionaries that make $400 a month, but they tithe. And, and uh, they're tithing to other ministries. And, and it's just so neat to see that those who are involved with us, it's such an important principle. And so, again, you know, here we are. Well, I could give $300 and feed a 1,000 people for a month. Or I can give $300 to help somebody out with their car payment because they can't make it because Why? <laughs> You know, and I guarantee you, if you look in the last year, they went to Disneyland and, you know, they ate their regular 500 hamburgers that every American eats every year and, and, and on and on and on and on. And it's, 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 it's disheartening at times. And so you come back and, and you say, folks, we are in the top 5% of the world. If you can own a car and a TV, you're in the top 5% rich of the world. 95% of the world cannot own a car and a TV. They cannot do that. both of them. Either have one or the other, or uh, they have neither, which a large part of the world doesn't have that. Those are, are great, um, again, in our minds, they're necessities. Yeah, i got to have a car, i got to have a TV. I mean, I can't make it, you know. Um, we'd, we'd eat cottage cheese and, and milk for a week to make sure we got the TV or, or whatever. And so, again... There's a lot of things that, that come into factor, and that's why it's really important, and we really stress it here at, at Calvary Chapel, that we, that the needs are met by the family of God itself. And so really, when a financial need comes to, quote-unquote, the church office, which we really don't have one, and I, I hate that whole corporate mentality, it's really going to have to pretty much be brought by one of the leaders in the church. 
And basically what he is saying is we as a fellowship, whether it's our home fellowship or a group of believers that know this particular person, have pulled together and have sacrificed, and it's still not enough. And I feel as a leader that this is a real need. And then it would go to the board of leaders. And at that point, they would make that decision. And again, it's to, to not try to hinder anybody. But again, in our, in our country, it's, it's a different thing. I wish we had enough building space. And hopefully when we are able to build the next buildings, we'll have enough space to have just one big room where everybody can bring uh, food. And, and have it there for that very reason, for people who really are in need. But notice here, it says, are you willing to share to those needs? We don't want to close our heart to our brethren. Galatians 6.10 says, let's do good to all people, especially the household of God. And here, notice he says, the saints, to meet the needs of the saints. And that's really what we are trying to meet the needs of, is the body of believers. You get some guy who comes out of the neighborhood or whatever, we would like to meet that need if we can't, but it's not our obligation. We're not obligated. And just because somebody pulls up in a car and says they're a Christian, uh, we're not obligated. Scripturally, we're not obligated. We'll meet that need if God shows us to meet that need. But we're not obligated to meet that need. Scripture says we're obligated to meet the needs of the saints. People that we know and can testify, as James 2 says, we can by their work say, we can discern by their lifestyle, by the fruit in their life, that they truly are a believer. So we've seen that person and known that person. When somebody shows up and says, well, I'm part of a fellowship back in Washington, D.C., and I've come out here, and, and uh, God led me out here, and it's like I'm living in my car and so forth. I'm like, hey, there's the phone. Call your pastor back there. And, uh, well, I'm a Christian. I've been a Christian 20 years. I just haven't been to church in the last 19 and a half. But I, uh, I'm, you know... It's like, well, again, love you, love to work with you, love to help you, but again, we've got to be good stewards with what God's given us and, and to be wise. Now, as far as non-Christians, again, I, 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 I've seen several times, I mean, it's, it's almost weekly will happen about 4 o'clock to 5 o'clock on Friday evening, we'll start getting phone calls for needs. People are thinking this, it, they're scams, they're scam artists. They're thinking you want to go home and they're going to keep you on the phone until you agree to give them what they want because they know you want to go home. And they know that you don't want to feel guilty on Sunday because you're a religious person because you're working at a church. So they know the last thing you're going to do at the end of your week is to tell somebody, no, we're not going to help you because they know then you'll feel guilty about going to church on Sunday when you didn't help somebody, when you should have helped somebody. And, and it's all a part of a, a con and and I've seen some good ones. I've been taken by some good ones. I had one guy several years back, and uh, he came with this big giant cast, and I'll tell you, he had a story, and uh, felt really sorry for him, gave him $50, walked out, took the cast off, threw it in the back of the car, and drove off. This is why I don't do this anymore. That was my discernment. <laughs> Had another guy, however, show up. Said he was from Florida. Said he had come out here on vacation by himself. Really needed some help because he had gotten mugged coming from the bus station 
took his suitcase, took his wallet, took everything, had been on the streets of San Diego for about four days trying to find help, couldn't find help. And we said, well, let's call your neighbors. He goes, all my neighbors are on vacation. And I said, well, what about your house? He goes, well, actually, my wife's there. Well, let's call her. She's deaf. Well, we'll call through the deaf line. Well, it's broken in that area. I've tried. And they, they told me it was going to be down for a couple of weeks. And so finally, we called a highway patrolman in Florida who went to the house. And the guy's story was 100% true. So, you know, you think, man, you're not as good as the last guy. Get out of here. And, uh, and you can end up not helping someone when you need to help. You, you, you got to try. You got to check out the story. And his deaf wife was quite worried about him. So, it's not an easy thing to say, distribute to the needs of the saints. Not in our culture, not in our day, not in our age. It's not, it's not just a hands-down easy thing. And so I say to you, God's really asking you to check your heart. And I'll tell you what, if there's somebody in the body you know that's linked to you, and you can close your heart to them, there's something seriously wrong. And uh, I've seen, again, where fellowships... I've seen it with home fellowship leaders time and time again, where God will give them people in their home fellowship that are needy, every one of them. And the home fellowship leader comes and goes, what's wrong with me, you know? You know, why are all the doctors and the lawyers and the businessmen going to that fellowship, you know? And everybody's knees going to mine. What's wrong with my teaching, you know? And I've seen this several times, and God's just stretching them to give and give and give until they've given everything financially, emotionally, they really are spent. God just giving them that broken, willing heart to say, hey, um, I've got another drop of blood to bleed with one more person. Let's go. And God really making them servants. So I, I say to you, it, this is a very important verse. We've really got to be able to be willing to give until it hurts, to really say no to ourselves. I know as a kid growing up, they would do a thing once a year in the church where you wouldn't, you know, if you could do it, not eat for a whole day or not eat for a meal for the whole family to go to bed hungry and to take the money that you would have spent that day and bring it to the church that Sunday and to give it to those in need in other countries. And I'll tell you, when you don't eat that meal for that night or especially if you could go for a day and, and be hungry and you're meditating, you're thinking about those in other countries who maybe get one meal a day, it really is heartbreaking. And you really do realize there's brothers in the Lord out there suffering. And as Paul said, be willing to suffer with those who are behind prison, Paul says. But we also need to be suffer, suffering with those who suffer around the world. And uh, our country is very wealthy, and so it, it gets very difficult to know when a need is really a need. And when you're trying to get some guy who's just not wanting to be diligent and just wanting to hand out because he knows it's available. Well... There's inside the mind of what's going on. I, I'm really glad there's, there's groups that really specify on that. You know, you got the San, Day, San Diego Rescue Mission. That's, 
that's their piece of the pie. That's what they feel called to. And it's, and it's exactly what happened. There's a guy in a church like ours, and needs came until it was too much for the church. And he would just say, hey, you know what? This isn't the whole of a church. This is a whole ministry, but it's not a whole of the church. And if you're spending all your time doing that, then, then you're not going to minister to other needs in the body. So let me take that piece of pie and go over here, build a building, and start a whole ministry to minister to people who are down and out. And so again, that's another great, maybe that's a great way to distribute to the poor. To, to give to the San Diego Rescue Mission or to give to the St. Vincent de Paul Center. And then, uh, again, I don't think it's going to leave you off the hook in the body when there's a need in the body, whether it's time, whether it's uh, just being there to hold their hand, or whether it's financially to meet that need in the body. But nevertheless, uh, you would be given an offering. Ties, you've robbed me, have you robbed me? In ties and in offerings. And again, the Bible says if you cast your bread upon the water, it'll come back to you. And I, I believe that. And uh, I try to help people in need as much as I can for that very reason. Because I do know that spiritual principle that when my family's in need, it'll come back. I, I try to stop and help as many people as I can with flat tires when I can. Or people who might need to get a ride somewhere. Because I, I just know one day that... Um, my wife's going to be stranded or my daughter will be stranded or whatever and, and, and God's going to send a Christian to them because I've, I've been there for the other people as well. And I believe that's a, a scriptural principle um, that if uh, you study it out, I think you'll find that. To the measure you give, it'll be measured back unto you. Well, anyway, in verse 13 again, distributing the needs of the saints. And then he says, given, literally the word there is pursuing. It's like chasing something until you catch it. Pursuing to hospitality or pursuing the love of a stranger. Literally, in the, in the Greek, that would be the best translation. You might make a little note in your Bible. Pursuing the love of a stranger. You know, it's so easy for us. And again, the Holy Spirit's always trying to break us out of this mentality we can be in it's my little world and that is just so opposite of the nature of christ it's to bring in people into your world but maybe it'll sit in my lazy boy recliner and i won't get to sit in it well maybe you will but that's that's part of it bring people into your world get out of your little comfortable zone and minister to people and so pursue that stranger you know God wants all of us to have that gift of hospitality, especially the leaders. As a matter of fact, you cannot be a leader in the church, according to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus, until that gift of hospitality has been proven. That you are willing to take people in and, and minister to people. And so here, especially you know, on a Sunday situation, or here even tonight, we have a few hundred people here this evening, and a number of people are strangers the first time, second time, third time. And it's easy for us just to, you know, take off to our car and, and, and do our thing. But it's so important that we, we pursue, chase after till we catch that stranger. To grab them, shake their hand, make them feel one, uh, welcomed, invite them to your home fellowship, take them out to Denny's and buy them a hot fudge sundae or, or just spend a little time talking to them about where they're at. 
I'll tell you what, people really are in our culture looking for somebody to care. They really are. And there's that saying that people don't want to know how much you know until they know how much you care. And once they know how much you care, then they'll want to know how much you know. And I'll tell you what, we really see that with Christ, how he really made people feel comfortable in his presence. But what Satan does, you see, is we are always the stranger. That's one of Satan's things. You are the stranger. And so wherever you go, you're always the guy that needs to be sought out. Well, they're not. They should be coming and saying hi to me. Get out of that mentality. Get out of that routine. And, uh, you know, I was in the grocery store the other day, and I, I guess I looked like I worked there, what I had on. And the lady said, do you know where such and such is? And I said, no, but let me help you find it. And I helped her find it, and she goes, thank you very much. I said, you're welcome. And uh, and then she, you don't work here, do you? No, I don't work here. But I'm, I'm glad I was able to help you. And uh, again, I, I just think that we need to help. As it says there in Hebrews chapter 13, too, it says, entertain strangers. Why? Because you may be entertaining an angel unaware. God's testing you on your hospitality. That's what the Bible's saying. God's testing you. Are you willing to reach out? And you, you know what, folks? It, over the years, over the years, and, and even to present, I've had people come for the first time, and without fail, they always go away saying, man, everybody is so loving. Everybody. And I'll tell you, that was the prayer before the church ever started. Me and Cheryl have been a part of a lot of churches through the years. And the one thing we saw, no matter the denomination, no matter the group of believers, no matter how mature or immature those group of believers were, that we can all be perfected in love. And we just prayed, Lord, make our group the most loving people and the most giving people on planet Earth. And I'll tell you what, God has really done that. But as the church grows, it doesn't, it doesn't have to change the atmosphere of the group. If we will reach out, you're as close to that person as you want to be. And so the person around you, don't just say hi to them. Invite them out to a Sunday. If they look a little shady, go to a restaurant. If they look don't look so shady, invite them to your house. But uh, be careful. may not be an angel. <laughs> may end up with your good china missing the time he leaves or something. But... Uh, be careful, but at the same time, you know, really have that heart. Pursue, chase after till you catch the hospitality of strangers unaware. And uh, then in verse 14, it says, Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. We're going to go into this in depth next week, but again, just in short here tonight. Being a Christian is a tough role to be on earth. And if you are living godly, you are going to be persecuted. And I'll tell you what, we just got to get that mentality and understand up front that Satan is real and that people are going to be tormented for saying the right thing, doing the right thing. And, and just, as it says there, bless and don't curse. Today I was on the radio. I had a question uh, about the Roman Catholic Church. Are they a cult? And the first words out of my mouth is, no, the Roman Catholic Church would not be classified as a cult. Well, and then I went on to say, however, there are some 
who are trying to make Mary a co-redemptress with Christ. And if the Vatican does approve that, then unanimously Christendom will see them as a cult. And uh, there is a large fraction of the Catholic Church that is pushing hard in that direction. Well, I got this call and and Margie was there and answered the phone and this poor lady beat up on her a while and, and then she goes, man, you got to call this lady. And I, I called her up and she goes, why did you say the Roman Catholic Church was a cult? I said, no, you didn't hear me. Yes, I heard you, right? And, and she went on just chewing me out. And then she finally said, I don't know what you think about the Catholic Church, but Chuck Smith is for it. He was taught the other day that Peter was the first pope. And... Uh, <laughs> That, that, you know, this is, this is the blessing of Chuck Smith. Even your enemies are at peace. You know, she hears me that I said what I didn't say, and she heard him say what he didn't say, but he's okay, and I'm cursed. <laughs> but anyway, maybe if I keep following God, I'll be as blessed as Chuck Smith someday. But finally, she, she was accusing me of putting down the Catholic Church. Didn't let me get in a word. But the conversation was getting worse because evidently I was saying things worse than I said on the radio, but I didn't say anything. But uh, it ended up finally she just said, you know, this proves my point. And I'm like, what point is that? And uh, that all Protestants are adulterers. They're divorcing one another. And they're all for abortion. And God's going to judge you. And I said, okay, well, you have a good day. God bless. I, I tried to talk to the word, couldn't get a word in. And uh, finally, you just come to the place where you just say, well, Lord, bless and don't curse back. And uh, so sometimes you get situations like that, but sometimes at work, you know, by not going along, the guy brings in the latest Playboy and, hey, take a look at this, you know, and no, I don't think so. And, oh, you're such a holy Joe. And, and it's, you got to hang in there. And then all of a sudden, they're going out after work to, to go get a beer. I don't invite him. And then they're going out to a ball game and they don't invite you there either because you're not in the clique. Hey, I'd love to go to the ball game, but you weren't invited because you're not a part of the clique because you won't look at the Playboy book and you won't go get a beer with them. So why should they invite you to the game? And that hurts. It's a real scar. It really does hurt. Because we really do want to be in on the inner circle. But folks, it's, it's just not going to happen. If you're going to live godly, it's not going to happen. And so bless, don't curse. If you go into the game, invite them. But don't expect you to be invited. Uh, it's just the way it works. And so you've got to get that mentality to say, it's okay. They're in darkness. They're not enlightened. And they don't understand God as we understand God. They don't have the love of the Lord in them. And, and they're being manipulated by the devil to cause this pressure against me. And, and so to have that heart like Jesus on the cross, just, Lord, forgive them. They know not what they do. And so we can easily start having an attitude towards them. Well, you know, great. Uh, that's where they're going to be towards me. I'll be that way towards them. Don't start being that way, folks. Bless and do not curse. Even though they're not blessing you and even though they're cursing you, keep that heavenly perspective. Well, we'll take a look next week at uh, rejoicing and weeping and then uh, hopefully we'll head on in and finish this chapter up. A great chapter, chapter 13. Very 
important chapter for our day and age. Lord, we ask you tonight to continue to speak to us concerning yourself, your own heart, your own mind. And Lord, there are some really tough subjects to really look through. You've told us to be wise towards those who are outside, and you've told us to be good stewards. You've told us a lot of things concerning helping people in need. And so we know you're holding us responsible, not just to give, but who we give, when we give, how much we give, and whether we're really helping them or just enabling them to continue on in slothfulness. So, Lord, we want to be a good steward. We want to be merciful and kind and loving and graceful, even though somebody may not have done what they're supposed to do, but yet to be kind to them anyway and loving to them anyway and gracious. So, Lord, help us to know when to rebuke them and when to help them. We really need your wisdom from above. As we walk in the Spirit, we know all of these answers will be met. And we just come before you tonight. Lord, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. In Jesus' name, and heal all of us sick people, Lord, and uh, help us to fight the coals and to give us strength to continue on, even though we're in a sinful, fallen world with a lot of diseases here. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.